So we're going to continue this series that we've been in. Uh, please, sorry, thank you. And um, we're going to start out talking about a guy named John Barsh. So in the Spanish service, I translate all my slides into Spanish, and I do a, a search and replace. And so I did a search for the, the book of John, and it replaced him. So in the Spanish service this morning, when I pulled this slide up, it said Juan Barsh. So I thought well, that was... Anyway, I thought that was funny, but um, <laughs> it made me laugh in the moment. It's like, oh, Juan. Uh, so John Barge is a researcher at NYU, and he took a group of college students and did an experiment, and they did something called priming. It's basically what you do is you create a certain state of mind in someone by sprinkling, sprinkling into the conversation certain words that may help people think in the way you want them to think. It's kind of like a subtle form of manipulation. And so they got two groups of college students, they gave them each this long list of words, and, we said we, and they said, we want you to make uh, some sentences out of these words. Now, in one group, they had a, a pretty innocuous set of words, but in the second group, they added a few words that related to being old. They put words like slow, retired, gray, inactive, bingo. Um, the word bald was in there, which kind of hurt my feelings. Um, and then they put the word Florida, which I thought was kind of funny. So the students worked through this, this activity, wrote their sentences, and then the second part of the, the experiment was they said, now would you walk down the hall? And it was this big, long hallway that they had walked up to start the experiment. Now they didn't realize that they were being timed as they walked down the hall both ways. And what they found was the students that had been primed with words that were about being old or physically inactive, these students, when they returned down the hall, walked significantly slower down the hall because they had just interacted with words that talked about being slow, old, and inactive. So just reading those words changed their physical output. Words are powerful. The words that we use are powerful. Look what Proverbs says. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, the things that you think about are the things that you become. The words that you think about set things into motion in your life that actually play out in our lives. So our words are important and they matter. The words that you use to a large degree will shape the reality of your life. So we're going to look at a single word today. That word is please. Please adds respect to a request. It's like asking instead of demanding. It assumes a posture of humility and it empowers the other person by recognizing that they have a choice in what they respond to your request with. When we say, please, it's a posture of humility. So in 1970 in December, Elvis Presley asked to meet with President Richard Nixon. Uh, President Nixon was only in his first year of his first term and Elvis was very popular at that time. So President Nixon wanted to show that he was powerful, that he was in charge, even with someone like Elvis Presley. So he did something that, that um, body language experts tell us he was the first president to do something like this. When they went to shake hands, he positioned his body so that his hand was on top of Elvis's hand, and it's to show a position of power. It's called taking the upper hand. And so his handshake shows that he's kind of in power, and Elvis is submitting to him by giving him the, upper, the lower hand. When we say please, we are taking the position of the lower hand. 
We're letting someone else take the upper hand. Now, this is a very common pose for politicians to take. You've probably seen dozens and dozens of politicians pose like this, but it wasn't always like that. Richard Nixon introduced taking the upper hand. As a matter of fact, I used to know a guy who every time I went to shake his hand, he'd shake your hand and then he'd go like that. And he'd look you in the eye. And so the last time I shook his hand, right as we shook hands, I went. <laughs> and he went. And I was like, what's the matter with you? You know what I mean? Let's grapple. <laughs> okay, anyway. So please is our way of shaking hands with the palm up. It's, it, it shows humility, which goes against the grain of how we want to live because we each want to be respected. We want to be first. We want to be listened to. We want to be in charge. We want to be the big cheese. We want to be the jefe, the boss. We want to be a metal metal. We want to be in charge. We want to be great. But look what Jesus, who is the greatest leader of all time, look what he said about this. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. He says, if you want to be great, you have to serve. That's the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to live, you have to die. If you want to receive, you have to give. And if you want to be great, you have to serve. Maybe the person with the most power in the room should be the one saying, please, the most. So Jesus then drives this point home the night before he's crucified. So he's having dinner with his best friends the night before he's crucified. And we call this the Last Supper. And so uh, as he's having dinner with them, Jesus drops a bomb. Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Imagine how that dropped in the room. They're shocked. What did he say? There's a snake among us. One of us is going to betray. One of us is going to stab Jesus in the back. One of us is going to turn against him. So Peter, who never, uh, who never thought about something without saying it, he looks at John, and the Bible says he did this. Have you ever had someone try and get your attention? He's there. John looks at him, what? Ask him who it is. Ask him who's going to do it. I bet it wasn't a quiet whisper either. Hey, John, John, John. What? Ask him. Watch. I'm going to show you. This is in your Bible. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him. Now, this is talking about John now. Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Now, Bible scholars love to debate and argue about stuff like this. Did Judas have a choice? I say he did. He chose. He knew what he was choosing. He did chose, choose. But notice something else about this picture. Jesus is sitting so close to John that when John talks to him, he leans back towards him. So he leans against him. So that means Jesus is sitting right next to John. And he's sitting so close to Judas that they can reach the same bowl. That means Jesus is sitting in between 
John, who loves him so much that he's going to follow him all the way to the cross, and Judas, who's about to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. That's about $91 today. Jesus is sitting right between these two. And notice, at this supper, Jesus fed Judas. T.D. Jake said, what kind of God do we serve that has the ability to feed his Judas? How many of us could feed someone that we knew was about to stab us in the back? What kind of lesson is Jesus teaching us that he can sit between someone who loves him and someone who's about to sell him out and he feeds them both? I think he wants us to understand we're all going to have our Johns who love us and we're all going to have our Judases that stab us in the back. But neither of those things can change the fact that Jesus wants us to serve them both. He wants us to love them and serve them both. That is a hard teaching. Does anybody else struggle with that kind of thing? Like, I want to get them back. You know what I mean? Like, I want to... Because the truth is, we have a hard time even being around someone that we know has done us dirty. Just being around someone who's talked about us, talked behind our back, made our life difficult, tried to turn people against us, But Jesus says, I don't only want you to be around them, I want you to feed them and love them. So what does Jesus do now? What should he do? This is the last lesson he's going to give his disciples, like the capstone lesson of the whole whole, uh, experience. And so what should he do? Uh, When he started his ministry, he turned water into wine. Maybe he could turn wine back into water, kind of a full circle thing. Maybe he could could show power and and show himself uh, like he did on the mountain in all of his power and glory. Maybe he could raise someone else from the dead. But Jesus chooses no performance. Instead, he does this. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So of all the things Jesus could do right now, the Bible says he stood up, prepared himself, and then he lowered himself lower than anybody else in the room. He took the lowest place, the place of a servant, and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. Isn't that an interesting picture? Of all the things the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords could do, he lowers himself to the lowest place, and starts to wash feet. This is the posture of please. Today, if you go to somebody's house, especially if it's a new house, and you want to go look at their new house, you might say, do you want us to take off our shoes? Right? So that you don't track in everything that you've walked through that day. And they would probably appreciate you doing that. Unless you have a hole in your sock, then it's awkward. Right? (laughs) You know what? Just go ahead and get rid of those. It's time. Okay? Anyway, in Bible times, when you walked into someone's house, they usually had a large bowl of water next to the door, and there was a small uh, cup in it. And what you would do is you would step into the water, and then you would rinse your feet off with the cup so that you wouldn't track into their house everything that you had walked through. Now, if they were wealthy, they had a servant do it. And so this was the lowest job for the servant. Nobody wanted this job. The servants were happy when they hired a new servant because he would have to be the foot washer. It was the lowest job. And, and, and so with that in mind, Jesus, for his last lesson, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, taking the lowest job possible. Why did he do this? He did it so he could teach us. When people are good to you, 
love and serve them. When people are awful to you, love and serve them. When people love you, love and serve them. When people are stabbing you in the back as they're turning that knife in your back, love and serve them. Why is Angel always trying to get us to take the Discover class and get involved in serving? Here's why. Because something happens in your heart when you maybe for the first time in your life take the lowest position in the room and serve with no expectation of getting anything back. This is one way that God changes us. This is one way that God breaks that spirit of, I want to be first, and what about me? And God does that when we serve. Now, this isn't the last time. Oh, by the way, Discover class is next Sunday night at 5. You can sign up at the Welcome Center. Listen, if this is your church and I'm your pastor, go to Discover, all right? Just sign up. It's an hour. We're going to feed you. Food is always good. Just, Just do it. Okay, anyway, this isn't the last time in the story that we see this thing. We see it one more time. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I never had. The, the guy who, uh, pastor, his name is Mark Batterson. He wrote a book called Please, Sorry, Thank You. And that's what we based this series off of. I never heard, I've never thought of this before, but this is not the last time we see this. We see it one more time. See, Jesus gets arrested, and then he gets put on trial, and he's taken before the governor. His name's Pontius Pilate. And Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with him. So he sends him over to Herod, who we talked about last week. Herod sends him back. Luke says that Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. So three times he tries to set him free. He tries to let him go. And every time he would try that, the people would argue and they would yell, crucify him, crucify him. As a matter of fact, Pilate's own wife sends him a message. She says, do not have anything to do with this man. Let him go. I had a dream about him. Just leave this guy alone. So Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. He wants to let him go, but the people won't allow it. This is what happens. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. So Pilate takes this same kind of container, and instead of serving, he washes his hands, and he says, this is not my responsibility. This is not my problem. Someone else can deal with this. I'm not touching it. Mark explains why he did this. It says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Pilate is a pure politician in the worst sense of the word. He's caving to the crowd. The peer pressure is too much for him. So he even goes against his wife's advice. Every married man knows that did not go well for him when he got home that night, right? Sometimes you got to listen to your wife. But do you see the contrast between the two? Jesus takes a job and a responsibility that's not his, and he washes the feet of his disciples. Pilate takes a responsibility that's only his, and he washes his hands and walks away. He says, this is not my problem. Have you ever heard somebody say, that's not my job? If you're a boss or an employee or a supervisor and you hear that, what do you think? Do you think, oh, good, it's time for them to get a raise. They understand now. They should be an executive. No, you know, doesn't that irritate the heck out of you when you hear somebody say that? Because everything is my job, right? So 
Pilate took that position of, this is not my job. Jesus took a job that was not his and made it his job. So the question is, every one of us has one of these. Now, you might not have this one. I bought this at the Home and Garden Show this weekend at Island Grove, but you get the idea. And we have a decision that we have to make. Are we going to assume the role of servant and serve other people, or are we going to wash our hands of it all and say, that's not my job, that's not my responsibility, I'm not doing it, that's beneath me. Every one of us has a decision to make about that. Jesus taught his guys, you always lead with grace. You always lead with blessing. You always lead with serving. Look, at, so Jesus is about to send his guys out, his, his disciples out for their first ministry trip. This is what he tells them. He says, when you enter a house, first thing you do, say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them, and if not, it will return to you. So Jesus says, lead with a blessing. Walk in and be a blessing. Walk in and serve. God will decide if they deserve it or not, and if they don't, God's going to return it to you. But we often lead the other way. We look around, we do a quick moral calculation. Do these people deserve my gifts? Do they deserve the blessing that I can be? But Jesus tells us, I want, I, Jesus promotes the upside down kingdom. He says, lead with a blessing, love your enemies, pray for people who persecute you, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give them the shirt off of your back. Please puts other people first. It sees people. It really sees people. In Zulu, there's an ancient greeting, sawubono. It means, I see you. When we don't see people, it's unlikely that we're going to appreciate them. When a husband or a wife don't see each other, it's unlikely they're going to appreciate each other. When an employer doesn't see their employees, it's unlikely they're going to take care of them. When a church doesn't see their community, it's unlikely that they can reach them. Have you ever felt unseen or invisible? It's a terrible feeling. So a few years ago, I got a group of, of Bible college students, and um, we went for one week without showering, which my wife was not a big fan of because we share a bed. <laughs> and uh, we went to the Salvation Army. We bought some old clothes. And we went out to the 16th Street Mall, downtown Denver, and we spent two days, 48 hours, living on the streets as homeless people. We didn't take any money. We didn't have any food. So if you were going to have a place to sleep, you had to figure it out. If you were going to have anything to eat, you had to figure it out. And so I did this a total of three times. Did it twice in Denver, once in Columbia, South Carolina. So six days total I spent doing this. And the worst part about it was that nobody sees you. When you're homeless, people look past you. They avoid you. They don't want to see you, and maybe for good reason, maybe for safety, but it's a terrible feeling when you look at someone right in the eye and they look past you and you're invisible. It's a horrible feeling. So we would stand in front of different places and panhandle trying to get food to eat, and uh, most of the college students, they look like, like runaway teenagers, so everybody would give them money. They felt very bad for them, and then they would look at me, and I looked like this old wino that needed a diet and a job. You know what I mean? So the whole six days, the whole six days I did this, I got $1 panhandling, $1. And I got it from another homeless guy. <laughs> he must have thought, you know, bud, you need this more than I do. You know what I mean? Like, so it's a terrible feeling to not feel 
seen. Please seize people. It puts others above us, and it sees everybody. There's something about when someone really sees you, when they really notice you. Even Jesus led with please. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So we have some folks getting baptized today. If you're getting baptized, go ahead and head back through that door right there. there there's some folks back there that are going to help you get changed and get you uh, set up and, and taken care of. So if you're getting baptized, go ahead and head back through that door. So Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks. An artist named Warner Salmon painted this picture, this, this scripture picture. The depiction is there's this dark kind of door. The only light in the picture is coming from Jesus himself. If you look into that little window, the window of your heart, you can see it's dark in there. Uh, it's overgrown. There's weeds and stuff. And Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. But the interesting thing about this picture is that there's no door handle, no doorknob on the outside of the door. Meaning, the only way it can be opened is from the inside. We've got to respond. See, Jesus is giving even us the power to say yes or to say no. He's leading with please. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And in that same way, he's not going to force you to do anything here either. But you've got to make a decision. It's up to you. You can be that person that says, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. Not my circus, not my clowns, not my monkeys, right? I hate that saying because it's, it's again, it's that whole, that's not my job. I'm going to make it my job. I'm going to make it my job to see people and to serve. Jesus is inviting us into that. And let me tell you, I, when, you when you choose to serve, to wash feet, I, I wish that Jesus would have said, you know what, uh, let's wash each other's hands. That'd be a little easier, you know what I mean? Or let's wash each other's cars. Oh, okay, that's, I'll, I'll pay 10 bucks and I'll take it through the car wash and you're good. Jesus doesn't do that. How many are grossed out by feet? Imagine dirty, smelly feet, sweaty feet, hairy feet. Oh. Jesus says, that's, that's what I want you to do. I want you to serve people like that. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you know every situation in this room. You know our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that this week as we encounter an opportunity to either serve or walk away and wash our hands, I pray we would be the people that wash feet. I pray we would not be the people that wash our hands and walk away, but that we would engage, that we would see people, that we would really see people. Maybe the person is in our home and we're just not seeing them right now. Maybe it's a coworker or a family member or a friend. Lord, help us to see them and then help us to somehow, some way, serve. I also pray for every person in this room, every person joining us online. God, we know you're knocking on the door of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would have the grace and the humility to open that door and invite you in. We trust you and we love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here at Mosaic, um, when we baptize people, we don't baptize babies or somewhere in the tradition of doing because we don't see that in the Bible. And so in the Bible, we see people being baptized as adults 
through full immersion, what's called immersion. That means their body completely goes down. That's the picture we see in the Bible, so that's what we do. And so when someone gets baptized, it is the, the picture that the Bible gives us. Nobody can live underwater for very long, right? And so when, when you go down under the water, the old person dies and a new person is resurrected. That's why some of you, you're so evil, I have to hold you down a long time to get that old person to die and they're scratching. I'm just kidding, we don't, right? Wait till those bubbles are gone. <laughs> when that person comes back up, that's the prodigal son coming home. That's a person who was dead and now alive, blind and now can see. So when that person comes back up, we cheer at Mosaic because we know that person has made a public decision to follow Christ. And so I would ask you that when you cheer, it's not one of those little polite golf claps. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yes, praise the Lord. That's not what we want to do here. We're going to pretend that after seven years, how many, I don't know how many years, now the Raiders have beat us every time, that we're finally beat the Raiders and that we're winning the Super Bowl. That's how we're going to cheer because the Bible says all of heaven cheers when one lost person comes home. So let's do some baptisms. just going to ask these guys a couple questions. So tell us your name. J.D. Moya. And are you a follower of Christ? I am. Would you like to say anything else? Yeah, I uh, struggled with addiction for over 15 years of my life. Um, seemed like everything I tried on my own to get clean, I failed. The moment I surrendered myself to the Lord, He set me free. So I just want to give glory to God. <laughs> What's your name? It's Austin. And are you a follower of Christ? Yes, sir. Would you like to say anything else? Uh, I don't have much to say. I just want to thank my family and my dad for making this decision. So I've been coaching Austin since he was a little guy in wrestling and other things. And I had the honor to marry JD and his lovely wife, too. So. your name? Nevea Solis. And are you a follower of Christ? Yes. Would you like to say anything else? Um. Okay. 
This is Nevaeh's son. What's your name, bud? Kendrick. And are you a follower of Christ? Mm-hmm. Would you like to say anything else? your name? Uh, Fred Solis. And are you a follower of Christ? Yes, I am. Would you like to say anything else? He says it's warm. What's your name? Adrian. And are you a follower of Christ? Yes, I am. Would you like to say anything else? Can I, can I tell them about this morning? She made the decision this morning to follow Christ, and she's getting baptized now. doesn't get any better than that. Um, but as, uh, as Angel was wrapping up and he was talking about Jesus and how he stands at the door and he knocks, and maybe that's you this morning, and maybe, there, maybe you have never invited him in, maybe you've never opened the door for him, and the whole reason that this church exists is to connect people to Jesus and help them grow in their faith, and that's the first step is opening that door for him. And so if that's you this morning and you, and you want to give your life to Christ, we're going to say a very simple prayer, and there's There's nothing special about the words, it's your heart behind it, but I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes and repeat after me. Pray, dear Jesus, this morning I open the door. I invite you in. Be Lord of my life. Thank you for dying for me on the cross, for taking my sin on you. I pray you'd wash me and make me new. Help me to walk this new walk. In your name I pray, amen. 
If you said that prayer for the first time this morning, let me be the first to welcome you to the family of God. You couldn't have made a better decision for your life. If that was your first time saying this prayer, uh, we know that that's just the very first step in your walk with Christ. And so if you would do us a favor and scan the QR code up on the screen or on the seat back in front of you, uh, we have a gift that we wanna send you because that's just the first step. So we, want, we don't wanna leave you hanging out or out to dry or anything like that. So we will have a gift we wanna send you to help you take some of the next steps in your walk with Christ. Um, but real quick, uh, I just have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, Angel mentioned this as he was uh, speaking. He Discover Mosaic is coming up on November 19th. It's at 5 p.m. You can sign up at the Info Center or with the QR code in front of you. Um, we'd love to see you there. It's, it lasts about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, but we feed you. Um, and it's just a great time to learn about the church and about how and about your part here. Um, also coming up on November 30th, we have our Refresh Christmas. So ladies, plan on that. It's on a Thursday night. It's at 7 p.m. They're asking for just a $5 donation to help with snacks and drinks and things like that. Um, and then coming up in December, we have a bunch of uh, fun events coming up in December. Uh, but the first one is Santa on December 3rd. So if you've got little kids, Santa's gonna be here. And yeah, we just, we can't wait to see him again this year. We've had, he comes every year. And so we're just excited to see him. That's gonna be after every service. So it doesn't matter which service you come to, he's gonna be here. And then the last thing is on December 6th, uh, we're gonna have a youth uh, Christmas party slash reunion. So if you've ever been a part of youth, even from way back in the day, even if you're old like me now, uh, we'd love to see you on December 6th. It's at 6.30 p.m., uh, but we'll have more information to come. But the last thing we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna continue to worship with our giving. And I've gotta tell you guys, um, this is one of my favorite things that we do here, but that couldn't happen without you. We're not a part of some denomination. We don't have a big church that helps fund us. Everything that happens in this church happens because of all of you. And you are some of the most generous people that I've ever, ever been around. And so thank you. Thank you for the part that you play in, in that because you guys are changing lives. And so if you'd like to continue to partner with us, um, there's several ways you can give. You can see them up on the screen, but let's pray over this morning's offering. God, we thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you for the lives that are being changed in this room. And we just thank you for letting us be a part of it. Father, I pray that, that you would continue to give us the faith to step out and to do what you've called us to do. We love you, we praise you, take this offering, multiply it, continue to use it to change lives. In your name we pray, amen. With that, guys, have a great week. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.